0: It's wonderful to have, again, families and students here together. So because of the students here, and all being students to some level, we are going to have a little story time. Mark chapter 8, crisscross applesauce, sit like it, here we go. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. I'm reading out of the New International Version, and you can follow along. I'm actually going to be dialing in probably 20 verses down There needs to be some context and some backdrop to this story, so let's get going. During those days, another large crowd gathered, another large crowd for the Lord gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. This is what he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat, and if I send them home hungry, they're going to collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, well, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? That's sometimes how I feel when I'm on 41 north of Clinton. <laughs> right? Like there's no cell coverage and I can't find gas and I can't get anything to eat. So where are we going to feed them? And he says this. Jesus asks. He says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asks. Seven, they replied. Everybody say seven. Yes. Seven Loaves. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. Now they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also, told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and they were satisfied. That means they ate and ate. It was the buffet. They ate, ate some more, and they were they were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces. You know the number we're going to say, right? Seven. Seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 4,000 men were present. That's just men. It was probably just like this. Families, mamas, kids. 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples, went to the region of Dalmanutha, And the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him, and they asked him for a sign from heaven, and he sighed deeply. And he said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? i tell you the truth, no sign is going to be given to it. And then he left them. He got back into the boat, crossed to the other side. So that's the backdrop for the story of feeding 4,000, seven loaves, seven basketfuls left over they're crossing over on the boat. Now it gets real because the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Seven basketfuls left over. Nobody put any of that in a baggie and pocketed it like nothing. So they head over and the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for this one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Now how ironic, how just, the irony of that moment is just fascinating. So Jesus says, Be careful. And he warns them, Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And that's what they heard. And then they started chattering. They started like getting together in little groups. And they were like, They discussed this with one another. And they said, It's because we don't have any bread. That's the deal. He got us. (laughs) Like, bummer. Caught. Be sure your sin will find you out. Like, we don't have any bread. Aware of this discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see? Do you still not understand? Hanging out with Jesus, watching him feed 4,000, 8,000, 12,000, I don't know how many people, 4,000 men. And he looks at them and he says, do you still not see? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? What an interesting line of thought. You're not seeing. You're not understanding. You clearly have eyes and ears, but it's the message that I'm sending to you is not getting through. And then he talks about your heart being hard. And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? And they say, 12. Because there's two stories, right? Yeah. He actually doesn't go to the most recent miracle. He says, when there were 5,000, we had five loaves and 12 baskets full. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets did you have? And they said seven and he says to them do you still not understand now what I think is incredible about this there are three stories here in Mark chapter eight we're doing story time today right so we're reading through Mark chapter eight and there is story to story to story and what I want to talk to you about today is the making of a miracle the the making of a miracle, how miracles can actually happen. One of the things about the scripture that I find very powerful, it it, it is not always prescriptive, but descriptive. Not always telling me this is the way it has to be done, but this is the way it has been done. And when you go into the book of Acts, you can see example after example of people coming to know Jesus. And you can read one particular way and if you are myopic and focus on that way, then that's the way. But three or four chapters later, if you read with openness and understanding and remember, you might see it done a different way. So there are things that are done in the scripture that are almost like an ambiguity around how the Spirit works, but the Spirit works. Seven loaves seven baskets full, 4,000. Do the math, right? Seven, if you have seven loaves, how many baskets full are you gonna have left? Seven, because that's what the story said. But in fact, there's a different story where there were five loaves, so with five loaves, how many baskets should you have left over? Five, because he did it with seven, and we correlate seven with seven, so five with five, except it was five with twelve. And that was twelve baskets left over for 5,000 men, apparently not as hungry, as the 4,000 men who only had seven baskets left over. This is how we live the scripture. We look at this, and we build a temple on it, and that is, thus saith the Lord, forevermore, amen. What we're looking at here is that miracles are not linear. Miracles do not work in this linear line of deduction and thought, that if I have seven loaves, then I should have seven baskets full left over. If I have five, then it should be five. The spirit works the way the spirit works. And there is a question. Do you still not understand? Verse 21, it says, he looks at them, because there are three miracles and there are three questions. And oh, how we love when things match up. Three and three, and they all start with the same letter and it's a move of God, right? (laughs) We love that stuff. We love trying to figure it all out, how God is working and prognosticating and looking down the road and like, well, if this and this and that, then this. We are dandy at that part. I don't know how well we do the remembering and the seeing and the hearing and the understanding. The broad picture, the panoramic view of the work of God in this world in this room and in our lives. The making of a miracle, it's not linear. You're not gonna guess it. You're not gonna look at three examples and guess what's happening for number four, nor will you be very successful if you figure out, well, Jesus did it this way, and because he did it that way, I'm gonna head him off at the pass over here, because you're gonna find yourself standing in the woods by yourself. not linear let's read the next story verse 22 they came to Bethsaida some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him I've been thinking about that all week like why would you have to beg Jesus to heal somebody I've just been, I've just been that's, when I read the scripture I read I'm like hmm they begged Jesus To touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. That's interesting. Sometimes he'll heal him right in front of everybody. The man was brought down through the roof and he healed him right there. He didn't say, fellas, can you pull him back up? We're gonna drop that down and we're gonna head out of town. He did it right there. But here, he takes the man by the hand. First of all, I don't even think he was gonna do the miracle. And they're like, hey, would you please do this? If I say, hey, Ron, can you lend me five bucks? You reach in your pocket and give me five bucks. That's not begging you. Ron, please, man, give me five bucks. Come on, dude, give me five bucks. That approach is begging. It says they begged Jesus to do this, almost like, okay, fine, come on. Takes him by the hand, walks him outside of the village. I think it's very interesting. And when he'd spit on the man's eyes, by the way, we're gonna have a healing moment after this. (laughs) Thank God for the word, right? If that was the only way anybody had ever been healed of blindness, and somebody came up that was blind, we'd all be like, wait one. (coughs) That's our our frailty. That's our fault. He spits on the man's eyes. You know, in some places, he at least spits in the mud, makes something, and puts it on his eyes. (laughs) He just spit right in the old boy's eye put his hands on him, and Jesus says, do you see anything? This is a miracle. Spits in his eye and says, do you see anything? And this guy, with incredible courage, looks up and he says, now this is what you're saying to Jesus. He's like, how'd my miracle work? Jesus asks the old boy. That's a little pressure. That's a little bit of pressure to have to respond to Jesus and go, Uh, I can kind of see, oh, son of God. I can kind of see. He says, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And then the scripture tells us once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then, then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. He saw everything clearly, but on the first touch, did he see everything clearly? Clearly, no. He did not see everything clearly on the first touch. Miracles, the making of a miracle. Miracles are not linear. You don't figure them out. I've always told folks, if you can figure it out, it's probably not a miracle. Miracles aren't linear, nor are they able to be figured out. And you know what else they are? They're progressive. Miracles are often progressive. Not just A, B equals this, you know, A plus B equals C and transitive property of equality and we have all those things that we change and all those laws and the physics and everything like that. We do all that. That's not it. It's not linear. But it is progressive. There are miracles that we love that happen, boom, just like that. And in a room of people, with this many people in this room, I am certain that there are stories that we prayed and something happened immediately, healing immediately, blindness delivered immediately, pain immediately gone. I know that happens too. And progressive, But what was the second question? Did you catch it? Do you see anything? First question was, do you understand? And the second question in verse 23 is, do you you see anything? That's two stories. Let's look at the third one. Verse 27. These just flow from story to story to story. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And then here's the the question, you ready? What about you? Who do you say I am? In our understanding, that was the first question, do you understand? In the next story, the question from Jesus is, do you see And in the third story, he says, how does your understanding and what you see influence how you see me? How does your understanding of how I work, how does what you see influence how you understand me? Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about it. Verse 31, he then began to teach them all the things the Son of Man must suffer. They must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him. (laughs) To which it says, and when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Not like, take a seat, hoss but something like, get behind me, Satan. That's a couple clicks up from, can I have a minute? (laughs) Right? He takes Jesus aside. You know why he rebuked Jesus. Who understood the work of the Lord more, Peter or Jesus? And Peter takes him aside and is gonna school him. Rebuke him. Hey, you know why he was doing it. We know why he was doing it. He was doing it because he loved him. He was doing it because he didn't want him to suffer. He didn't want that to be the plan. But it was the plan. That was the way the miracle was going to happen. He didn't understand. And because he didn't understand, Peter, impetuous, powerful, strong, unafraid, courageous, took to Jesus to say, hey, and rebuked him to which Jesus looks at him and he says get behind me Satan you do not have in mind throw that up there please verse 33 you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men you don't understand son (laughs) appreciate that you think you're helping me here but you don't understand how I work you don't understand what this is all about You're seeing it. You're following me, but you're seeing it through a particular lens. And I'm telling you right now, it's not my lens. The lens that you're seeing it through, he called it out. That's pretty harsh. I've ticked off a lot of people in 30 years of pastoring, but I've never called anyone Satan. (laughs) Like, I've offended a lot of folks in 30 years, but, like, I haven't sat across from anybody and go, all right, get behind me, Satan. He pulled no punches. That's how serious this is. He's like, this is how off base you are. This is how off the plan you are. Do you understand? Do you see? And how does it influence who I am to you? Because you see, the making of a miracle, miracles aren't linear. You're not going to figure them out. Miracles are progressive. A little bit here, a little bit more here. Can I get an amen from anybody that feels like you might be a miracle in progress? God's still showing, God's still forming, God's still growing. We are miracles in the making, every single one of us. That's what we were singing a few moments ago. Your faithfulness, not just while I was in this building, but you have been watching me for years. Before I was formed in the belly, it says, you knew me, amazing, amazing. But miracles also can come through flawed vessels. They're linear. Nope, they're not linear. They're progressive. And they come through flawed vessels. One moment, and I mean moment, one moment Peter is like, thou art the Christ. Get that for a real. Thou art the Christ. Play that one, and then don't forget to play the one that says, you're not supposed to be dying, and you're not supposed to be suffering, and we are not on board with this, and then get Jesus telling me I'm Satan, okay? Play that. Put all that out there, because that was happening all at once. It wasn't days later. Peter was used by God. Another story, another gospel writer says, you didn't get that one on your own. You didn't get that revelation on your own. My father gave you that revelation. So you got revelation here, but you don't have revelation here. Ready? Own it. Wear it. You got revelation in this space, and you don't have revelation in that space. Own it. And I'm talking to us. Own it. It's not linear. It is progressive. And he uses flawed vessels to have a moment of God-directed insight, and then we are clueless to what he is doing and how he is doing it. He calls the crowd to him. They're all here hearing this story. Story time. Three questions. Do you understand? What do you see? And how does it influence who I am to you? Real quickly, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, if you have an NIV Bible like this, a study Bible or something of the sort, they have headings, paragraph headings. Mine says, the ministry of reconciliation. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again. We're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that. Everybody see that part? Giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that. This has a point. Paul says, I am bringing this to you so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. This is a space. Keep that up there, please. This is a space where we get it wrong. Paul says, I'm commending this to you so that you, he says, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Implication, you need to pay attention to the miracles that are happening in the heart. You can look around at what is seen, and that's really the context of this. The rest of this passage that some of us, what do you see? I see what's on the outside. What do I understand? I only understand what's in front of me right here. I only stand where, understand what's convenient. I don't understand things that are, I, you know, I'm struggling here, right? It's a struggle. People that what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Carry this forward. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. That's what Paul is saying. We're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And again, here we go, the word so, so from now on. Right earlier, in verse 9, he says, so that you can answer people that just look at the outside and don't take into consideration the heart change. You see, the making of a miracle is not always visible. Sometimes it's inside. You have to look into the heart. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now listen to this. The worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Keep it right there, please. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. How many people looked at Jesus the way Peter looked at Jesus? We're believing in you to bring the kingdom. I'm going to do it through suffering. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm going to spill my blood. I'm going to be crucified. No, no, no. That's not the plan. That cannot be the plan. But it was the plan. The tension of that. When we look at Jesus and we're like, yay, he's bringing a kingdom. He's bringing it like this. No, no, no. question is, what do you see? What do you understand? And how does it influence how you understand him? Paul says, from now on, we're not going to regard things from a worldly perspective. And he actually tells us, that's how we used to look at Jesus. Anybody else in here, it makes no sense that Jesus did the cross thing? Like What? Come on, let's go deliver some people. I'm going to give my life later today. What? I don't, that's the plan? I get why it's the plan. It gives us that grace. It gives us that level of grace where we can look at it and we can say, that's how the world would see it. That's how a carnal mind would see it. You're not bringing the kingdom through dying. I was telling the kids, you know, my war stories. In the Navy, Naval Academy, and all that stuff, and the hazing that we went through, and the first night we were there, and we, I, my, my first day was July 1st. So we went through the whole July 4th weekend, and at night we've been working out, and you know they're killing us all day long, and and we're in our we're in our rack, we're in our bunk, and at night, and you'd hear da 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 da, like play this music all of. Fanfare for the common man, always like trumpets and horns. And then they'd play, one night they played Patton's speech from the movie, George C. Scott. And that's booming through the dark as they're all sitting there. I played the speech for the kids the other day. He said, Nobody's won a war dying for their own country. You win the war making that other sorry guy die for his. That's our mindset. And Jesus says, you don't understand, Satan. He's like, you don't get it. That's a worldly view. And Paul says, that's how we used to see it. But now we don't. Therefore, verse 17, I think 17 might be a verse that you know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. That is in the context of how I perceive the work of the Lord. That is in a flow of you used to see it like that and you were wrong. Now we see it this way. Therefore, as a result of this understanding, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. I say that over every person I baptize. Old things passed away. All things become new. And sometimes people have come out of the water and if they have an addiction, they never have it again. But sometimes they struggle because there's the making of a miracle. Miracles aren't linear. Miracles are in process. And they're working through flawed people who actually do really well at uh, 10.05 and at 10.20 they say something stupid. Same day. And miracles are working in us. Let me continue. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hold that. Do you see what's after reconciliation? A colon. That's an equal sign. A colon is like an equal sign. A colon is like, okay, I'm about to explain. Here's what this means He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what I'm about to tell you is the ministry of reconciliation. That colon is like an equal sign. Here it is. Throw it up there, Chip. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And see, that's what God was doing. He was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, but it didn't make any sense to us. But that was his plan. Jesus was working miracles in all of us. And it made no sense to us whatsoever. And frankly, most of us would have been called Satan, too. Most of us would have pulled him aside and said, what are you talking about? Like, no, 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 no. And he would have rebuked us for our lack of understanding. But look at the second part. Not counting men's sins against them. You know what the ministry of reconciliation is? God reconciling the world to himself in Christ. It is a progressive miracle. Not counting people's sins against them. That is reconciliation. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Arnick, how about your team come up? I wanna sing evidence, please. I got the okay from the boss, so we're good to go there. All right. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. What was that message again? You know the message of reconciliation. The message is, remember the colon? The message is God is reconciling us to himself through Jesus. Jesus is the way. It's out on the wall. It's on the other other side of that wall. Jesus is the way. Everything else is a conversation. It's on the other side of that wall. Jesus is the way. Reconciling the world to himself through Christ and not, not counting men's sins against them. That's written in there because we need it written in there. It's not intuitive. We want seven loaves and seven baskets, five loaves and five baskets. It needs to be linear. We need to be able to project it. We need to be able to know what happens or it didn't happen. This messiness of miracles in progress, it's messy. This ministry of reconciliation is when you are with someone and the the, cognizance the consciousness that you bring to the game to the relationship is that God is reconciling this person as he did me to himself and he has given me this ministry of reconciliation and it says we are therefore there's a lot of therefores in here aren't there there's a lot of so that therefore right i'm telling you this so that and i'm telling you that therefore this we are therefore Christ's ambassadors we're Christ's ambassadors with what? Ambassadors of what? The ministry of reconciliation. As though God were making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. God is making the appeal of the ministry of reconciliation through us. It is progressive, it is not linear, and he uses faulty vessels. So he says, we implore, this is, throw that up there again, buddy. Verse 20. It's important that you see this. Next one, verse 20. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. We implore you. That struck me today while I was reading. Paul says, I implore you. Do you think he's talking to the sinner outside of the community of faith? No, 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 no. He's talking to this church. Now listen to this. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Who's he wanting to be reconciled? Us. The church needs to be reconciled. We think our story is always about someone else searching around and we're reaching into the highways and byways and the gutter and the back rooms and come on be reconciled come on be reconciled to Jesus which is the ministry of reconciliation that God is reconciling people to himself through Christ and we don't hold their sins against them that is what he says but his imploring which isn't just a kind to ask remember the begging to heal the guy that I am imploring you, we be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, chapter 6, verse 1, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain as God's fellow workers, goes right into the next chapter, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In vain means of no effect. It is in vain that the grace of God you've received is of no effect until we are reconciled to the message. The message of reconciliation. That we know there is the making of a miracle. And it's me and you and you and you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. you. Do you know it's actually you? You did know that. As God's co-workers. If you weren't sure that the previous you was for the church, I'm pretty sure you're sure now. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That is an extension of being reconciled to God. Chorus. How's that go? I see the evidence of your goodness. I see the evidence of your goodness. All over my God working in every person. All what about the things we see here? I see promises, in fulfillment. Okay. Oh, Pause. promises in fulfillment. Who is it? I'm, I'm fired up right now. I'm almost, I'm like, who is it? Promises in fulfillment. Promises in fulfillment. Your life is a jacked up mess. You're confused. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You're making bad mistakes, decisions. And you are promises in fulfillment. Every one of us promises in fulfillment. God working in us in our flawed space. Let's stop looking at the wrong things. Let's stop realizing that we are not holding people's sins against them. That's not reconciliation. Not according to how it's written here. And we are the ones that need to be reconciled. And recognizing, lest we fall short-sighted to what's under our own jacket. and just simply provide a space for people to come to know Jesus so that through that connection, they can be reconciled to God just like you were. And when you came up out of the water, and I said, old things passed away, all things became new, there were still things you struggled with. There were mistakes you made that afternoon. Is the the word in error? No. It's a perception. It's the perspective. I used to look at Jesus this way as a man that was gonna bring a kingdom and he had a whole other plan that if I would have tried to rebuke him, he'd have looked at me and said, Satan, get behind me. You don't even understand what you're talking about. True. I wonder if we could throw our hands up to that today. Just throw our hands up to that. Say, you got me. You got me. Uh, you got me, Jesus. Any place that I've seen it that way, my own structure, it had to be linear, it had to be right now, it had to be perfect and not messy. Anytime I did that, you, you called me out. You got me, Satan, you got me. Not following your ways. May we be baptized with an understanding of reconciliation. And when we sing this song, we understand that we are promises in fulfillment in process miracles in the making we don't hide it we celebrate what god is doing because it is god's work that changes us changes us let's sing